Worship Choir, thank you so much. Friends, if we have not met, my name is Adam, and it really is uh, one of the biggest blessings in my life uh, to be senior pastor here. Uh, this summer, we took our children to Disney, and we're still recovering from that in a couple ways, physically, financially, uh, but it, it exceeded our expectations. It was great. And as you can imagine, we had pretty long days. That was one of the few days I was really excited to check how many steps I had taken. You know, I was like, ooh, wait till I get a load of this. And, uh, but it was especially a long day if you're five, like our daughter is. You know, we had been going for like 14 hours. And so at the conclusion of our day at the park, we were, uh, it was like 10 at night. We were walking back to the transportation, back to the parking lot. And as you can imagine, she's just wiped out, conked out. And so her brother, you know, as we're traveling, doing all that with like 20,000 of our closest friends, uh, her brother offers her a piggyback ride, which was very sweet. And that led to what I think you'll agree is a very precious picture. Uh, Betsy actually fell asleep on her brother's back. Uh, here she is conked out and being carried. I think at some point or another, we've all felt that way, right? Sometimes you're being carried like Betsy, and sometimes you're carrying somebody else. Uh, what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word today is that we need to go to the mat. Go to the mat. We'll be talking about what that means. In our scripture today, we're going to read about a man who was carried by his friends. In the book of Mark, we read a story uh, about people who would stop at nothing to be in the presence of Jesus. Mark is one of the four gospels of Jesus. Gospel is a word that simply means good news. And so these gospels are biographies of Jesus. They contain the good news of, of the life of Jesus who lived briefly and died violently and rose unexpectedly. Mark is considered to be one of the first gospels written uh, around 60 AD or so. And there's a real focus on the book of Mark in Jesus serving people, uh, especially through these miraculous healings. And we read about one of those episodes today in Mark chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So there's other parts in the second half of the Bible that's called the New Testament that describe Jesus having to leave Nazareth, his hometown, uh, for another area uh, because his, his life was being threatened. And so he, he moved, he relocated to Capernaum. Capernaum here, you can see the Sea of Galilee, kind of that blue dot in the middle. And Capernaum is one of the cities on kind of that northwest corner, just to give you an idea of where that's at. And in, in, in the book of Mark, a lot of Jesus' ministry that's documented is in and around the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had obviously established a reputation in Capernaum because people are excited that he's returned. This is verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. It's estimated that in the first century, a uh, house in Capernaum, could have held about 50 people. Scholar William Barclay notes that in ancient Palestine, life was very public. In the morning, the door of the house was opened and anyone who wished might come out and in. I just want to pause to give all of you a moment of anxiety if you just experienced that. Like, <laughs> we haven't even vacuumed, you know. It's, it's really important to some people. I'm an aspiring vacuumer myself. The door was never shut unless someone deliberately wished for privacy. An open door meant an open invitation for all to come in. In the humbler houses, such as this must have been, 
There was no entrance hall. The door opened directly to the street. And I wanted to include that whole quote because I think it's a, just a great image of people just coming in off the streets to get to Jesus, to be able to sit under his teaching. Jesus was preaching to this gathered crowd when something unexpected happened. We read this in verses four and five. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, excuse me, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So we don't know a lot about these people who were carrying the man on the mat. We know that there were four of them. I presume one for each corner of the mat. Now we do know that people with afflictions like paralysis in the first century had very little leverage. They were often relegated to begging just to survive. And, and, and so I'm just assuming, this is just the way I picture it, that these four men had to have some type of connection or maybe that was friendship or, or were related to the man suffering from paralysis because usually those people were viewed as unclean and, and if that was if they were thought of at all. And so seeing the crowds, they hatch a plan. They'll come in from up top. Now last weekend, I was officiating a wedding in Nashville and our hotel had a good view of the Music City Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, those patches, on those dark spots on the roof, that's grass. This is not a new concept. In the first century, the roof would have been flat with wooden beams two or three feet across and filled in with branches and dirt, and there was often grass growing on the top of the roof. And so they dig through, and they lower the man on his mat just to get access to Jesus. And Jesus admires their persistence. He says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't it interesting that the first thing Jesus does is not cure the man of his paralysis, but forgive his sins? It's an interesting priority Jesus had, forgiving his spiritual state of sin. Now, the main understanding in Judaism during Jesus' time is that there was a connection between suffering and sin. So if this man was paralyzed, then either he or his parents had done something bad, and this was the price he was paying. Now, Jesus refutes this line of thinking later in the book of John. But in forgiving this man, Jesus creates more controversy by forgiving his sins than if he would have just healed him. And you don't get crucified because you made friends with all the right people. And some of those folks who would oppose Jesus are in this crowd. In verse 6, we read, Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? I mean, just the condescension, you can just hear it. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so to, to call someone or to accuse someone of blasphemy to call them a blasphemer. This would have been the most serious insult or accusation you could lob at someone in first century Judaism. To blaspheme would be like the ultimate affront to God, to deny God in speech and belief. And so Jesus' audacity to declare this man's sins forgiven went against everything the teachers of the law believed, went against all their traditions. Now, there is no easier punching bag 
as a pastor than the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. No one will be offended if I make fun of them. No one will say we came down too hard on them. Uh, it's easy to do. And so I, I want to try to avoid some of that and, and to remember that these were very devoted people who had verses like Isaiah 43:25 memorized. I alone, Isaiah says, about God. This is God speaking in the book of Isaiah. I alone am the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's pretty clear, pretty declarative. And so the controversy isn't just that Jesus thinks he can forgive sins. The controversy is that Jesus is equating himself with God. And so I read the rest of this episode as one big statement from Jesus saying, oh yeah? So just think about the, this is a, a, the lens of, oh yeah? Watch what Jesus does next. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, that he was blaspheming. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Oh yeah? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So it was a sign of Jesus' spiritual authority over invisible things. He's going to give those gathered, especially those teachers of the law, and especially the paralyzed man, a witness to a visible miracle. In Jewish tradition and in Jewish law, if, if you were sick, especially with a condition like paralysis or leprosy, you were considered unclean. You, you were kept at arm's length, more than arm's length. And so the typical sequence of events to be pronounced clean was first you needed to be healed of your condition, then you'd be declared clean by a priest. But Jesus reverses that. He says first the man is forgiven based on his faith, and then he is healed also as a result of his faith. This would be a pattern Jesus followed, that he would do almost the opposite of what everyone expected him to do. That he would go against people's expectations and do things a different way. This angered especially the most re religious and powerful people. And so they were all shocked as the paralyzed man got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So we don't know a lot about the men who carried the mat. We do know that they wouldn't let a crowd stop them. We do know that they were for getting their friend in Jesus' presence. In this series, Know What You're For, we're trying to go against the stream of negativity in our culture. And so if we Christians are to have any helpful or credible witness, then we need to stop defining ourselves by what we're against, and we need to clarify what it is we're for. God is for us and ultimately calls us to be for one another and for the world. Now, to be for someone means to have their best interests at heart. And if you're interested in diving deeper into this concept, I highly recommend the book Know What You're For by Jeff Henderson. That's where some of the content or concepts that we're discussing in this series come from. So we've talked about God being for us. Last week, Pastor Mitch talked to, about two questions. What do you want to be known for and what are you known for? And this week, I'd invite you to consider what it would look like 
to be for your team. What does it look like to be for your team? The man on the mat was in a vulnerable position. He depended on his friends, on his team. Now, most of us would prefer to be the ones doing the carrying rather than being the one helped on the mat. I'll never forget in the early days of the pandemic, like when it was locked down, uh, the pastors kind of divvied up names at our church that we had on the rolls above a certain age threshold. And we were just going to call and check on everybody. And uh, I hope Sarah said I might not want to put this in here, but I'm like, we'll see what they think. Uh, and so I will never forget, people kind of figured this out about a third of the way through our phone calls with them. They'd be like, oh, wait, Pastor Adam's calling me because he thinks I'm old, right? And it was like this switch went off and they started to be like, oh, no, no, we're good. How can we help someone? You let us know what we can do for somebody else. So I just, I just wanted to say out loud uh, that this is a reminder It's okay to need to be carried. I'm going to say it again. It's okay to need to be carried. And actually, when you allow someone to help you, you never know if you're actually helping them. By letting them help you, it could be a great help to someone that you might not expect. It's okay to need to be carried. So the men in the story went to great lengths to carry their friend to Jesus. They lowered his mat through the roof. Who are the people that you would go to the mat for? You ever heard this phrase? Go to the mat? Now, my wrestling experience is limited. Uh, I had a good run there in the 90s WWF. And and then in high school, uh, we had a wrestling unit. And I don't know if, I I know a lot of people at our church uh, have kids or have wrestled in high school or college or I have utmost respect for people who wrestle because you get, t- you get like exhausted in about seven seconds. I just, so, but from what I understand about wrestling, especially more ancient forms, is you actually started on your feet and then the match wasn't over until you had grappled all the way to the mat. So to go to the mat for someone means to go hard, to not give up, to give it your all because you, you're, not, you're not done, you're not defeated until you've been pinned to the mat. So if you're going to go to the mat for someone, you're going to go all out. So who are the people that you are for? The people that you'd go to the mat for? And so I would propose to you three steps to consider what it means to go to the mat for someone. To make a list, to attack the obstacles, and to take them to Christ. First, let's make a list. Who are the people that are on your team? The people you have influence with. Now, you may not consider yourself a person of influence, but I'm here to tell you, you have more influence than you think. And so if influence isn't maybe your favorite concept, even think of interaction. Who are the people in your circle of interaction? Uh, your, your family, your friends, people in your neighborhood, people you work with. Who are the people you interact with regularly? The people you have influence with especially if you're a business owner or a manager at your job. If you don't consider being for your team, you need to start today. Today. In his book, Know What You're For, Jeff Henderson states that the way the team is treated 
will be the way customers are treated. But being for your team isn't just good for the bottom line, it's good for people. There was an article that Gallup wrote in April of this year, and it blew my mind. Get this, just 24% of workers strongly agree that their organization cares about their well-being. Only a quarter of employees strongly agree that their organization cares about their well-being. I was shocked by this. And this should be of great concern to leaders, given that these employees, the, one who, the ones who believe that their organization cares about their well-being, are 69% less likely than all other workers to search for a new job, 71% less likely to report experiencing burnout, and five times more likely to serve as an advocate for their organization. When you have a circle of influence, it is a massive opportunity to bring people to Christ. If you're, if you're a business owner or if you manage people at your job, I would suggest that you, like me, are a pastor. Because you're responsible to care about people's well-being. And, and I just think, it's, it's my belief that there has never been an easier time to have a Christian witness. Never. Because decency is, is found at such a low rate in our culture that you can really stick out and not have a real high bar to clear. That's just my thought. It's never been easier to have a Christian witness. Do we take time to care for the people that are closest to us? We don't always do that. So let's make a list of our team. Who are the people we interact with with regularity? Who can we show care for? Who can we demonstrate that we have their best interests at heart? You know, I'm not asking you to, to go and, you know, like approach strangers and try and get them to come to church. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about start with the people that are already in your circle of influence. Now, when you make your list, here's how you know you've gotten to the appropriate length. When you're kind of on the fence of someone to include or not because they're annoying. <laughs> That's how you know you've got a good list. When you'd rather not put someone on, but you know Jesus is like, <laughs> you're like, all right, uh, do I have to put them on? Yes, you have to put them on. So when you get to that point, you're done. Next, we need to attack the obstacles. It takes time and attention to notice people and demonstrate you're for them. And we only have so much time and attention. But if we're so busy that we can't do this, that we can't show our family and friends that we're for them, what are we doing all this for? Our priorities are out of whack. If your business isn't caring for the people that run your business, you in the wrong business. The men who carried the man with paralysis, they wouldn't let any obstacles stand in their way. And so we should attack the obstacles that are going to be in our way if we really try to do this. Maybe there's physical distance between you and some people that you want to be for. Well, then we're going to need to get creative. We may need to learn how to use some technology. We're going to have to be intentional about getting some dates on the calendar because we're not just going to run into them. Maybe we lack a desire to be for others. Maybe you're just like Betsy on her brother's back and just 
you got nothing left. Then let's ask God to give us a heart for the people that God has put on our path. Maybe you're worried about someone's level of receptivity. I understand that. Uh, I hope you hear me say with regularity that Christian, I said it's never been easier to have a Christian witness, but in some ways it is hostile because people are suspicious of Christians sometimes. I've told you often that as a pastor, I get one of two responses when people find out my job. They apologize for cursing earlier or they explain how long it's been since they've been to church and why. That happens to me all the time. I wish I was kidding. They're suspicious. And so if, if, if we are concerned about people not being receptive, I would suggest we think about being two other things, that we would be subtle and that we'd be persistent. Because people might not be immediately receptive. But knowing there's gonna be obstacles to trying to show people we're for them, to trying to demonstrate the love of Christ, the last thing we need to do in order to go to the mat is to take them to Christ. Now the four men used every means they had to get their friend in the presence of Jesus. And I, I just want to acknowledge that it's going to work differently for us. Because we don't have access to the physical presence of Jesus like the folks in Mark 2 did. You know, if Jesus was like on tour and going to, would stop at Cleveland or something, like we'd get a bus and go up there and it'd be great, but that's not how it works for us. But the Bible is very clear, very clear in the relationship between loving God and how we treat people. The connection between the faith we profess and the behavior we exhibit is crucial. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Part of the journey every disciple of Jesus makes is moving from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. From seeing kind of the annoying person on our list the way we do to viewing people the way Christ does. It's a lifelong journey. We can show other people that we are for them and that Christ is for them by the way we treat them. This week someone told me a story about their child and their child's friend uh, who were approached by a grown adult at the Jesse James Festival and they were handed literature and they were told they were going to hell. Not helpful. You know, and I, I'm going to try and be generous and, and assume that that person doing the soliciting meant well. Uh, but I just, I don't know who among us would, would receive like eternal, information of eternal significance from someone who hasn't even demonstrated that they're for you. We don't, we don't listen to or trust people that we don't know or certainly don't know their motives. So it's just not helpful. So all of that stuff is not what I'm trying to describe. When describing bringing someone to Christ, I suggest you start with your team, not with strangers. And when I say bring a person to Christ, I don't just mean bringing them to church. And, and I hope you do. I hope this is a place uh, where folks can feel uh, warmth and, 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 and be invited in. That is why we exist, for people who aren't here yet. But I'm not just talking about bringing someone to a physical location. I'll never forget uh, the way my friend, I showed a picture of him a couple weeks ago. His name's Steve. 
I'll never forget the way Steve demonstrated uh, that he was, that I was on his team, that he was for me. I'll try not to tell you my whole life story. When I was 21 years old, my senior year of college, I was hired even though I went to school in mid-Missouri, shout out Central Methodist in Fayette. I was hired by a church in St. Louis and I'd commute back about once a month. I'd been an intern there and they hired me my senior year of college even though I couldn't be there for almost the whole year. And I will never forget every time I made the trip back from St. Louis to Fayette, my buddy Steve would call me at about nine o'clock and he'd say, hey, man, just want to make sure you got in okay. And I'm like oddly emotional about this. Because even at 21 years old, you know, I don't need anybody's help. Man, I still wanted to know somebody was looking out for me. And so this can be done in very simple ways. Steve and I didn't talk for an hour. Nobody cried. But he just, he took the time to care that I, he knew I was driving on I-70 late at night. I just wanted to make sure I was okay. And he did that with persistence. I'll never forget it. It was very simple. So when we bring people to Christ, we can do so by rejoicing with them and mourning with them. To be there, to celebrate the highs and support them in the lows. Romans uh, 13, I think. Uh, the book of Romans says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We bring people to Christ when we're for them when we demonstrate that we have their best interests at heart. And finally, we bring someone to Christ explicitly when we share the story of what God has done in our lives, when they ask, why are you like this? So there does come a time when, when we unashamedly talk about our motivation for why we try to, be, uh, why we try to live this way that we have a hope in Christ that they also have access to. The four men in Mark 2, they went to the mat for their friend. Do we take the time to do the same for people on our team? I've got a group of pastors that I'm uh, very close with. We meet in a, in a covenant group. And if I know something big's coming up for them, you know, I'll kind of text them. Hey, praying for you today. Do I do the same for my wife, Sarah? I need to. Sometimes we, we, sometimes we don't think about this for the people that are very close to us. So don't underestimate the capacity you have to bring someone to Christ that's in your circle of influence. Let's be for our team. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for this appointment with you. To meet together and to be challenged and encouraged by reading your word together in your presence. God, impress upon our, our hearts and minds the folks you've put on our path, the folks that we can put on our list. God, give us grace and strength to still put the person on the list that we would rather not. We thank you for those four people reported anonymously in the book of Mark thousands of years ago that we can draw inspiration from. And so would you reveal to us the opportunities we have to carry someone to Christ? That they would be called a beloved child of yours and that they could find healing and find salvation. 
God, it can be a terrifying thing to be classified as your ambassadors. Help us to be worthy of the title. Help us to leave this place and show the world that we are for them and that you are for them. Help us to take advantage of the opportunities we have every day to demonstrate your love to the folks on our team. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.